Thank you. Man, it is so good to be with you this week. I wasn't here last week. Uh, I was out of town doing a half Ironman. Thank you. Yeah, I was pretty proud of myself until I saw the rankings and realized I was well below average in finishers. But I finished it, and I'm standing here today, so we're calling it a success. It's really exciting to be a part of this worship community, and I, and I think that every time I worship with you, your energy, your love, your, your friendliness, your kindness, this is just such an amazing community to be a part of. And I'm so honored that I, I get to be a part of this community with each of you. And, and, I, and I'm so grateful that I get to worship with you on a weekly basis. If you've been following us along in our Christmas present series, you know we're in Luke 1, and we've been kind of going back and forth between the story of Mary and Elizabeth. There have been a couple angels that have appeared. They've given some messages out. They've said babies are going to be born, and, and that's for both Elizabeth and for Mary. And, and these are some really miraculous and exciting events because they're, they're different. They're supernatural. They're they are imposed, mm, yeah, they're that too. <laughs> They've got God in the middle of them. God's making some amazing things happen, and this is especially exciting because for the last 400 years, God has been silent. He hasn't spoken through prophets. He hasn't spoken through angels. He hasn't spoken to his people. And here we are in Luke telling the story of the birth of John, and, and here is God. He's speaking again, and he speaks through, these, through the angel to Mary and to Elizabeth, and he, or to Mary and to Zechariah, and he speaks through the angel saying these things are going to happen, these baby, babies are going to be born, and, and so God is speaking to his community in that long exhale of silence. Israel can finally take a deep breath and start to breathe in because God is at work. God is at work. And we can see this just as promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke 1:57. We'll read it. When the time came for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son, just as the angel told Zechariah would happen. And remember, last uh, a couple weeks ago, what happened to Zechariah in, in uh, week one of our series, the angel appears and tells Zechariah all of these things that are going to happen, that there's going to be a baby, that it's going to be miraculous, and your wife, who is quite elderly and far beyond the years of childbearing, is going to have a baby. And Zechariah, you remember his response, like, uh, no. Say, what, angel? That's not happening. <laughs> this is not happening. And the angel says, okay, you're in timeout. <laughs> a timeout of silence for nine months until this baby is born. He is in silence. And, and that's what happens here. He doubts. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know how this is going to happen. How could it possibly be? But even in this silence, even in these moments, God is making good on his promises. Even in the silence, God is following through with his promises. Even when we don't see God working, God is following through on his promises. He says, 
He does what he says he's going to do every single time. Romans 8.28 reminds us of this kind of idea. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them, which doesn't mean that his purpose is void of hardship or difficulty. It means that in the end, in the end of the story, that that if God calls you to do something, he calls you to his purpose, that he's going to follow through on that purpose in your life. So we get here to this moment. We get here to this moment in biblical history, in the story that is so often glanced over or skipped altogether because the story that comes after this is like the reason we exist, right? The reason we're Christians, the reason that we're here. The story that comes after this, the birth of Christ, is amazing. And so the one that we're reading today sometimes gets mixed up and missed and glossed over in all the excitement of what's to come. And so I'm going to just spend a few minutes with a few hundred of my closest friends today and we're going we're gonna to just, I'm just going to have a little story time with you. We'll tell a little story about Elizabeth. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth gives birth, birth to her son. This is her only child, and it is the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, those of you who are parents out there, you have to tell me yes or no because I don't have kids, so I don't know. But I imagine that having a new child enter your life uh, by birth or adoption or, or a really good friend lets you hold their baby. But a, a birth of a child coming into your life has got to be one of the greatest moments in life. Is that, is that true? Yeah? Okay. So until like child three or four and then you're like, eh, it's three or four. <laughs> we love all children the same. It's okay. Whether you're firstborn or, or somewhere down the line. So, um, so it's something that people get excited about. It's like one of the greatest moments. And, and everyone around her was so excited for her. Not, not just because like, oh, it's a baby. That's amazing. That's wonderful. But, but because she's old. And like babies don't come out of people that old. Like it's just physically impossible. And people are excited Friends and family and community, they're excited. Neighbors and strangers on the street are excited. People she doesn't know are excited because this is kind of an anomaly in their time. And in fact, Luke 1:58 tells us, and when her neighbors and relatives heard what the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. Everyone rejoice. This is a celebration. Baby's born. We're all going to celebrate. Her friends and her neighbors and her family. And, and everyone was there. And, and in that house, there was, there was double rejoicing because a boy had been born. It had been born to parents who were much, much too old to have, have this child. And, and there was rejoicing because we all know the story that, that she just, she prayed. She'd wanted a child. They'd wanted a child their, their whole lives. And in, in this... Um, in history, in, in Bible times, if you didn't have children, it was seen as like, like a curse, like a curse from God that you don't have a child. Like, like God is punishing you, and that's why you don't have a child. And there's a lot of shame wrapped up into that. And so, 
here, here she is carrying, carrying this shame with her and the weight of that. And, and Elizabeth knew that this baby was special. She knew it was special because it was impossible to have a child. She knew it was special because when she went to visit Mary, like we talked about in our sermon last week, that baby leapt inside of her and she knew something is special. Something special is going on here. And she, she knew that when God gave her that child, that, that that shame was not only removed, but that she was being honored by God to carry that child. Her barrenness would become a thing of the past. Her shame would become a thing of the past. And when God calls you to a purpose, he follows through with that purpose. When God called Elizabeth and Zechariah to a purpose, he followed through with that purpose. When God calls you to a purpose, he follows through with that purpose. Are you with me? He follows through. And when he follows through, he doesn't just do it like half-heartedly, right? When he takes away the shame, he doesn't just like take it away and leave it over here. He takes it away and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. He throws it so far away. And when he takes our shame, he doesn't just take it and throw it far, as a, far away. He, f- he fills that void with like a deep sense of joy and a deep sense of restoration. When God takes, when God ca- takes our deepest brokenness from us, he replaces it with our deepest sense of joy. And we see this because we've seen it before in the Bible. We've seen it in Isaiah chapter 61 where there's this message to the oppressed. There's this message to those who'd been taken captive and had been enslaved. This was a message for them of hope and good news for the oppressed. In verse 7 it says, Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. These are good promises. God is in the restoration business. When God calls you to a purpose, he follows through with that purpose, and he restores you to get that purpose done. And that's exactly what he did here. Back to this story at hand. We're at the scene, there's Elizabeth and all of her friends and family and neighbors gathered with her to celebrate. And and about a week after this celebration, there was this Jewish custom to circumcise the baby. And historically, parents had... um, had the option to do that themselves. They got to name the baby at this time. They got to offer a blessing at this time. And it was a public ceremony and, and everyone could come. And, and, and according to this Abrahamic covenant, there was where cir- circumcision served as a sign that as the people, they were set apart for God. And so here in Luke f- uh, 159, we read that when the baby was eight days old, this is what they did. They all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name the baby Zechariah after his father. Now, that was pretty normal. They wanted to name, name the baby after the father. That's kind of a common thing. That was a tradition that they did. That was something, something that they did. And under normal circumstances, Zechariah would have had that naming ceremony for his child. It would have offered that blessing, not only as a father, but as a priest. What a great honor. Except for one problem. 
He couldn't speak, all right? He couldn't speak. And so, and so the custom was that you would turn your baby over to um, like a close relative or really anyone that you wanted um, could also do that blessing and circumcision and naming of the baby. So here's these new parents that have waited a very long, decades, a very long time for this child. And they have to turn it over to somebody else to name. <laughs> Which, okay, I'd be a little worried, right? Without intervention, this baby was going to be called Zechariah. When we look at the Greek, they, they use um, this imperfect tense in the Greek, and it says that they were already calling the baby Zechariah. So, like, the common, common terms around for, like, the last week, everyone was like, oh, baby Zechariah, yay, baby Zechariah's here, oh, baby Zechariah's so cute. Like, they were already calling him that. So, without an intervention, this was what it was going to be. Have you ever called anybody by the wrong name? <laughs> How'd that go? <laughs> yeah, I did it like last week, twice, in a matter of five minutes. <laughs> it was great. I felt so good. <laughs> they were very gracious and kind to me, though. But what, what about calling someone's child by the wrong name? Have you ever done that? Like, it's Caroline. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I put the wrong emphasis. All right. No. So... <laughs> Some friends of mine adopted this, um, this beautiful, I mean, just adorable, the sweetest, cutest, like, most precious, fluffy kitten. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was so stinking cute. I mean, like, a dozen heart emojis cute. It was just adorable. And I love little kittens. And, and, and they named it after a breakfast food, and I thought that that was so adorable, and, and all, like, all of my texts are like, how's Pancake? Oh, Pancake's so fluffy. He's so cute. <laughs> He's adorable. I love Pancake. Thank you for showing me pictures of Pancake. He's so cute. Yeah, I'm going somewhere. It's okay. And so she came to visit me not too long ago. She came to visit, and, you know, we're chatting, we're catching up like friends do, and like, hey, you know, how's it going? Da, da, da. How's Pancake? And she busts out laughing, just laughing, almost fell off the chair laughing so hard. I'm like, did I miss something? Like, did it do something cute? Tell me. She goes, well, his name is Biscuit. <laughs> we've kind of just been letting you call him Pancake for several months because we think it's cute. And now every time we call him Pancake, we kind of laugh and we kind of make fun of you a little bit, but we're glad you love our cat. And so here's Elizabeth, and she is not going to let anybody name her child anything other than John. Nothing other than John. And so we read then in verse 60, Elizabeth, Elizabeth interjects into this naming ceremony and she says, no, his name is John, not Pancake. It is John. <laughs> and this shocked everybody present. Like, this, 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 is, this is just, why are you even talking, woman? No, you're not even presiding. You're not the father. You're not the priest. Why are you even jumping in with this name? And besides that, 
no one on Zechariah's side of the family was named John, and it was kind of a big deal to like keep names in the family, right? And no one in that lineage was named John, and no one in Elizabeth's side was named John. So where is this name coming from? Clearly he should be named Zechariah. But here we are, Elizabeth, seemingly bringing even more shame to Zechariah by, by refusing to name this baby after the father. She defies the custom of the time and speaks to those assembled, stating with authority, his name is John. Because God had spoken to Zechariah. God had promised this son, and God had given very specific instructions. So when she spoke, she honored God. She spoke out because if she didn't, the assembly would miss the message from God. That didn't go over so well. We read in verse 61 where the, those gathered, I mean, they just had this completely awestruck, like, what? They exclaimed. There's no one in all of your family by that name. Which I think is kind of a nice way of saying, like, woman, what are you doing? Get back. Get back in the kitchen. This is our custom. This is our tradition. If this child isn't named after the father, custom said it should be named after a relative. But you, you're coming with this, this name that doesn't mean anything to anyone and they cite their tradition, and they cite their customs, and they say, this is what it should be, and they demonstrate so clearly just how unaware they are of what God is doing in the life of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And her message here is, is guided by this idea of, of present truth that was revealed by God to Zechariah. That truth was far greater than any tradition or any custom or, or anything that they held like that in that day. This idea of present truth is something that in my faith tradition, the Seventh-day Adventist faith, it's, it's something that we're familiar with or at least have heard kind of swirling around, this idea of present truth. But, and if you haven't heard of it, that's okay. It's the idea, that tr it's the idea of a truth that is pertinent right now. So being an Adventist has meant identifying and emphasizing truth that has current relevance, that has current importance, and, and being able to identify that and, and name that. And for Elizabeth and for Zechariah, it meant that while their tradition, their customs, carried this weight, it was pertinent right now that Elizabeth step in and break away from that custom that Elizabeth step in and break away from that tradition, that Elizabeth step in and break away from the years of customs that weighted this down with what God instructed to, to be done. And I wonder sometimes if maybe we or maybe I might be missing these current instructions from God. Like, Maybe he tells me, look, Karen, there's something I want you to do, um, but it's going to look different than anything you've done, and it's going to be a different, f you're going to have to do it a different way than you've ever done it before, and it's not according to customer tradition. It's going to be this. And, and, but that he's revealing his character to us and nudging us deeper into a deeper understanding of his nature by asking us to do this. And when we miss that out, maybe we're missing 
the message. And, and when we miss that message, maybe we're missing the miracle. And I think those gathered on that day with Elizabeth and her family, with Elizabeth and Zechariah for this naming, they might have been missing the message. Elizabeth had ventured something very unusual. Surely she must be mistaken. Really, we're going to name the baby John? Luke 1, 62. This is what they do. So they use gestures to ask the baby's father, what do you want to name him? Because what she said doesn't make sense. So let's ask the father, the priest, what do you want to name him? But they couldn't just ask him, right? Like, they couldn't just ask him a question, like, nod your head, yes, for Zechariah, and no, for John. <laughs> they couldn't ask him these questions, because when the, God, or when the angel showed up and said, you will be silent, back in verse 20, <sighs> what that means is your world will be silent. Not only could Zechariah not speak, but he probably couldn't hear as well. And that's why they had to, like, act it out. Like, what do you want to name your child? How do you act that out? I don't know. I, just, what do you, I don't know. So here's what he did. He motioned for a writing tablet. Verse 63. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everybody's surprise, he wrote, His name is John. I swear I just saw that somewhere. Was that Elizabeth? And this was cause for absolute amazement. And this was, this was amazing, not just because for the very first time in recorded history, both mom and dad agree on the same name. <laughs> this was amazing because here's this, this, this miraculous element of the miraculous in the name because they agree on it and because, because John means God has been gracious, which is exactly what God had been to Elizabeth and Zechariah. It was also a foreshadowing of the gift that God was giving to his people. God has been gracious, yes, to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but God is gracious to his people in sending this prophet that would be the forerunner for someone even greater to come. Their faithfulness to God's was bigger than a name, bigger than that moment in time bigger than all of the customs and bigger than all of the tradition and, and bigger than um, all of that. Their faithfulness was multi-generational and it had a ripple effect through time, but it also had an immediate impact as well. Verse 64, instantly, Zechariah could speak again and he began praising God. I don't know about you, but if I had been held silent and couldn't hear for nine months, I'm not sure praising God would be my very first thing. I don't know. If I could talk again, that would be the first thing I'd say. There's a story told of, of a monk, and you might have heard this, and, and that's okay. It's just a story. It's not. Anyways, there's a story told of a monk. It's, a, it's actually a man. He wants to be a monk. And so he goes to a monastery, and he says, I, I want to be a monk. And, and the guidelines that he's told are, okay, you can join, but just keep in mind that, that here you have to take a vow of silence. And you can talk once every 10 years. Okay. And the man thought about it, and he said, okay, I, I still want to be a monk. I can abide by those rules. 
And so he goes into the monastery, he enrolls, and he's there, and 10 years pass, and the head monk comes to him and says, well, brother, you've been here 10 years. What, um, what would you like to say? And the monk says, bad food. <laughs> bad food. So the head monk, like, nods, yeah, and walks away. And more time passes. Ten more years pass. And the head monk comes up to him again. It's your ten years have come and gone, and um, what, what would you like to say now? What, what would you like to say this time? And the man, the man looks up, and he thinks, and he says, uncomfortable beds. Okay, the head monk says, yeah, okay, nods his head and walks away, and my 10 years, 10 more years pass. He's been there 30 years now. 10 more years pass, and the head monk comes, and he says, well, you have, you have this space to talk. How's it going? Tell me, tell me what's, what do you want to say? And the monk says to him, I quit And the head monk nods his head. Yeah, yeah, that's probably for the best. You've done nothing but complain since you got here. <laughs> now I imagine Zechariah, he had a lot to complain about. Man, he had a lot to complain about. Where was God in that silence while he had to wait? But instead, he praises God. After the long silence, the first thing he does is praise God. And we see as we continue in verse 65, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. This was truly miraculous. This was truly something special. These events had been very unusual. The old had given birth. The child had been given a strange name. The silence had been removed. And, and this gives the crowds something to ponder, something to think about. And finally, they begin to catch on to this incredible work that God is doing. They're not in fear or in terror. They're in a religious awe in the presence of the Almighty, in the presence of the work of the supernatural. This birth of John was distinguished by so many miracles, so many unusual things, supernatural things that had happened that, that this gave them all a reason to expect that something really great was going to happen with this child. The circumstances were too unusual, too remarkable. Something would be amazing with this child in the future. And news of all of these events spread around the lands. And one thing was very clear. People knew his story. And that way, it was certain that when John reappears on the scene later down the line, he's not just a nobody coming from nowhere. He's somebody that everybody will know because he was a miraculous baby born to a really, really old couple that could not have children. He was a, he was a, a special baby that they remember had gotten this strange name, and this whole incident about his, his father being stricken with silence and deafness for the entirety of his, of his mother's pregnancy with him. 
These were unusual circumstances. People had to take note, and that, that story spread far and wide. In fact, we continue into verse 66. Luke tells us that everybody heard. They had all heard about it, and then they reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. And whenever the, whenever the Lord's hand is mentioned in Scripture, usually and almost always, there's an opportunity for deliverance just around the corner. There's an opportunity for hope and for blessing just around the corner. And, and we see this in Isaiah 25, for the Lord's hand of blessing will rest on Jerusalem. And, and Isaiah 66 tells us everyone will see the Lord's hand of blessing on his servants. And from this context, we know that when Scripture talks about the Lord's hand, that it's mighty, that good things are coming, that the enemy will, will fall down, that servants will be empowered, and that, that help and presence is on the way. So when they heard this story and said, God's hand is at work, surely his hand is on this child, we know it's something special and good is around the corner. They had a glimpse of what was to come, a foreshadowing of, of that shame that would be removed, not just from Elizabeth, not just from Zechariah, but from their whole nation because of the work of John, but more importantly, because of the work that was coming after, after John. And for a time, and, and maybe for a first time when they heard this, they had hope. They had hope. You know, sometime after John was born, Luke records that Zechariah, who had been filled with the Holy Spirit, gave a prophecy about a coming Savior. And the account is recorded in the end of Luke chapter 1. You can read it when you get home, but... But I'll just cover verse 78 and 79, and, and this, is, this, is the prof, this is the words of the prophecy of Zechariah. He says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us on a path of peace. This opportunity of deliverance was just around the corner. It's almost here. One of the great and unique features about Christianity is that this is a religion of God coming down to us. It's light shining in the darkness. It's light that destroys the darkness. Not that the darkness tries to destroy the light, but, but that, that um, the darkness can't become light. Light chases it out, and, and it's transformed by God's delightful presence among us. Hope. It's just around the corner. Hope is on its way. Bow your heads for prayer with me. Holy God, you stepped down into this darkness. You sent your Son into this dark place so that we could have light and life and hope and your light streams forth from heaven. It, it breaks through like the dawn, and you are present. Oh, we are so, so, so thankful for your presence. We praise you because that's all we can do in awe. We praise you, and we thank you, and we love you. Amen. <laughs>